to the Harwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. This week, TJ and Sam cover what coaches are doing to be successful come tournament time and what they're seeing right now from top teams, specifically around in-game coaching and strategies. Before we start, a quick word from Manawata. Coach, would you like to have a team full of great shooters next season? We've partnered with our friends at NOAA to bring to you the Hoops app, a free app to help your players measure the trajectory and arc of their shot. They'll get immediate feedback after every make or miss so that they can course correct and become a better shooter faster. Have your players download the Hoops app at thehoopsapp.com forward slash PGC today so that you can have a team full of better shooters next season. Coaches, welcome to the Hardwood Hustle. We're going to talk about tournament time. We're going to talk about in-game coaching, specifically what are teams doing right now uh, to be successful. As others, all these tournaments going on, you have Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, high school, NAIA, JUCO. You've got um, the, the tournament right around the corner of the sixty-eight teams that are about to play. Seen ACC, SEC. Big 10, Big 12 tournaments all over the country going on. And so I think it's a time all of us really enjoy March Madness. But what can we take away from March Madness? Specifically, we're going to talk about in our in our blueprint for coaching. There's one particular topic under systems and strategies about game coaching. And there's five different topics we have in there. Pre-game and post-game, game planning, game management, strate- strategic adjustments, substitutions, like things you need to do well while you're coaching the game. And we're going to break down some of the things that we've seen both go well and not so well uh, for teams over tournament time. So Sam and I are going to dive into that so that we can all be learning our best and be our, our best learners we possibly can be over this next month of March. So Sam, let's talk about game coaching. Let's talk about March Madness. Yeah, I think TJ, to start it off, we got to distinguish there's practice coaching and there's game coaching and they are different. You know, there are coaches that are really good in practice and then they get into a game and they're not as uh, quick to make adjustments. Maybe they don't prepare their team. And sometimes let me, let me say a second thought with that is that really most games are won on the practice court. So that sounds like a contradiction. But there are adjustments. There are specific game preparation things that you can do as a coach to make your team six, eight, ten points better. And I think it's going to be important. I'm excited about unpacking this for coaches and and hopefully providing some value to them and how they can be a better game coach. Yeah, I'm fascinated, you know, watching all of these games play out. I, I Particularly, I love – going in and watching a game and trying to identify what the other team's game plan was. You know, how much of it are you sticking to what you do best? How much of you are of it are you adjusting to what you think will be tough on that particular team? You know, and those things really just fascinate me. And then also the habits of really good teams, like what's happening on a regular basis and how those play out during tournament time. And, you know, I could be mistaken, but I mean, watching on the guys' side, you know, I know the favorite in the SEC didn't win. The favorite in the ACC didn't win. I don't think it happened in the Big Ten. Who won the Pac-12? Was that uh, Arizona? Did Arizona? 
Arizona, so they were the favorite there. But there's a lot of places where the favorite didn't win out, um, and, and, and teams came by. And there's different reasons, different games, different upsets. But I've been really fascinated watching all of those things. Let's start on the defensive side of the ball. What are some trends and things that you're seeing on the defensive end of the ball? For me, particularly, what I, what I'm noticing against teams that are surviving and advancing is the consistent you know i think a lot of plays into the three ball and it's a really important shot but one of the things you notice about the best teams at any level is they just don't give you very many easy buckets they don't give you easy transition buckets they don't give you dumb turnover transition buckets they don't give you um oh somebody got beat and we forgot to get there and help or oh gosh we didn't communicate on this screen so they were wide open these teams that are playing at the highest level of basketball and really are peaking in march they make you earn just about everything on the defensive end and and when you see a team that's not making you earn everything they're just not going that far in my opinion, but these teams that are making you earn everything are finding a way to survive in advance. Yeah. And really TJ, that comes down to a few things, effort players got to care about it. I think secondly, it comes down to your habits that you're building your on ball habits, how you guard the ball, your help, help side habits, your rotation habits, understanding that, and then your communication and all that is developed in practice. And again, so I think I think that's the key here is to go perform big in a game or in March. A lot of these championship teams, they've developed championship habits. It doesn't guarantee you that you're going to win in March, but it puts you in a better position to be consistent. And that's what you're asking for. Yeah, you know, and I would say they do more than just develop championship habits. I think they also what I've been noticing in some of these teams is they show up with the championship grit. You know, they show up and, and and compete at a super high level. And I think the teams that were playing in championship games this last weekend and, and teams that, you know, kind of survived and advanced throughout the tournaments to this point, I, I just saw a lot of grit. You know, I was meeting with some of my players today and just talking about that mindset that I'm watching play out in the best teams. And I think sometimes that can be underestimated. That's another thing that I think you don't only build in practice, you build it throughout the season through adversity, through a lot of different things. But I think there's some teams that are just gritty. I mean, I look at, um, you know, Virginia Tech was a fun one to watch, right? Like they're, they're doing a lot of things. We'll talk about them on the offensive side of the ball too. But, you know, defensively, I mean, every aspect of the game. And I, I thought it was really interesting. I was listening to uh, – um, somebody talk about what wins this time of year and uh, uh, Rob Lanier at Georgia state who just made the tournament. Right. And he was talking about mid majors and, and uh, what they do in the tournament. He said, you know, to be honest with you, when we get to the tournament, our margin of error just goes down because the players are so much better and there's just, there's just good teams at every level. So we can win, but our margin of error to win is just less. And as the year goes on, if you're talking about winning a conference or a region championship, your margin gets less. If you're talking about winning the tournament, your your margin gets less. And he had a really good point. He said, you know, look, I don't think you have a really good shot if you can't defend. He said, but reality, come tournament time, you've got to be pretty solid in all aspects of the game. Like you've got to know how to take care of the ball. You've got to know how to defend. You've got to know how to get quality shots. And I think the longer I coach, the more that plays out true is sometimes we get fascinated with a style. Oh, we're going to play this type of defense or we're going to play this type of offense. Or we're going to. But at the end of the day, teams that survive, advance and win championships, they become pretty solid in most aspects of the game. 
Well, let's talk about that because the grit thing, this is why I'm always a believer, TJ, in veteran teams going deeper. You know why? You know why a veteran team would go deeper than sometimes a team loaded with freshmen? And before somebody's listening and saying, well, yeah, if they're super talented young players, talent talent takes you places. But the grittier teams are your veteran teams. Why are they more gritty? Because they've been through the battles. It matters. A senior, a 22, 23-year-old guy who's who's got beaten in the second round of the tournament, who's fell a little short. There's a little bit more incentive. There's more grit that has been developed which will allow, you know, them in the toughest moments when you got to be gritty, when you got to get a stop, when you got to get that tough rebound, it's just going to matter a little bit more. That's why I look at teams in March Madness when you fill out brackets, you know, looking for those teams that are laced with veterans at key leadership spots. Yeah, you know, and I think it can become, you know, even though one and done has become pretty fascinating for people and they're recruiting, you know, at that level. But I think it translates to high school having a young team or a more mature team. I think they've just been through more battles and have faced more adversity. But it's a little bit of, uh, you know, of a not true in some ways. Like when you look back over the years, I mean, if you were to look at the last decade of champions, you know, last year's game between Baylor and Gonzaga, Baylor had, I mean, really good senior leadership, mature players. Gonzaga had a bunch of those, too. They had some younger guys, but they had a lot of guys that have been through a lot of battles playing in that. Then you look back, you know, then there was COVID, but the year before, Virginia had a really senior-led team, and they beat Texas Tech, who had a lot of seniors. And you look back the year before that, they were looking at Villanova, which was a very mature team. Um, and they won in 2018, 2016. Um, you, you know, there was the year when Duke was a little bit young in 2015 when they did win it. But if you were to go back, you know, the last decade or so, there's not that many just really young teams that have won a championship or the team they've played has been super young. Um, you know, some of the losers that sometimes people forget in those games, but a mature Texas Tech team, a mature uh, Wisconsin team, back to back Butler teams with juniors and seniors on those teams. So a lot of teams that do make it and do get to that spot are mature teams and not just the level of maturity, because that doesn't always equal, you know, winning. But I think that the fact that they built up grit over time definitely matters. That's why you see mid-majors knock off the more talented teams sometimes because you see third and four year guys, you know, in their in their main core group of starting five or their core group of seven or eight. So no doubt, no doubt about it that I think veterans are more gritty because they've been through more battles. You know, here's here's four things, Sam, that I think lead to success. I actually heard Bill Self talk about this, you know, the other day too. And he probably would add a fifth that I think is probably, you know, right. But at the end of the day, if you're going to make a run in tournament time, I, I, I don't think you give up easy buckets. I think you're stingy on defense. I think that is a recipe for success. Uh, the second thing I think is you're gritty. Like you just have guys that win loose balls and loose rebounds and they make big plays, hustle plays. I, I think you're gritty. So I, I think that you don't give easy buckets. I think you're gritty. Three, I think that you fight for good shots. I don't know that you always get them. You know, defenses are really good and there's so much size and athleticism. Like it's not always easy to get a great shot in 30 seconds. 
but they're fighting for good shots, a.k.a. Virginia Tech and what they just did in the ACC tournament. You know, I think that yeah, that's really important. And then the fourth one is I, you know, I think that that those little categories as far as like your rebound margin, your turnover margin, getting to the foul line, like those things that all are a kind of a category of their own. Most of those teams hang close or win those categories on a regular basis with the teams that really advance in the, in the postseason. So I think those four things, the one thing Bill Self added that I thought was pretty interesting, you know, if you're going to make a deep run, you're going to go win a conference tournament, you're going to go, you do have to make some timely shots. You do need some guys that will make some timely shots. And it helps when you have a player or two or a girl or two that can make a timely shot for you. And I think that would be, you know, one that he added that over his time winning that, you know, that tournament 11, 11 times, he said, that's been an important factor. We had all those other categories, but we also had some timely made shots. I, I don't, I want to hear those four one more time, but the timely made shots to me, I don't know, when I first hear that TJ, just being like my unfiltered thought is sure. That's great. <laughs> of course we all, but that's a little overrated. Just like, late shot gets um, a little bit more overrated than the the 19th shot of the game. Well, yeah, but here's where I disagree a little bit on that. Like you're going to go, when you get into tournament time, you're going to face another good team, the deeper you go. You know what I mean? Like if it's a, the deeper you go, they're going to be good. And so if you're facing a team that's stingy on defense, like you're stingy on defense, somebody's going to have to make a play sometimes. Like you're not just going to draw up back doors and get up layups every time. You're not just going to run in transition and get a layup. And so you are going to have to make a few tough shots, not because your offense wasn't good, but because they practice too, because they're good too, because they're good on defense. And occasionally you're going to have to sneak in one of those timely shots or a tough made shot because your opponent is just that good. Yeah, well, a tough shot and a timely shot are, to me, a, a two different types of categories there. I do agree when you have somebody that can go get a bucket who has can hit pressure shots. You know, they chart they chart that in the NBA. I think, like, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are, like, crazy good in clutch shots, they call them. Uh, the, the kid for Villanova, the point guard, he made some huge shots against Creighton, I think, down the stretch, you know, that, that were timely. So those are more to me like clutch shots and tough shots. And I would agree you got to have somebody that's not afraid to take them, somebody that can go get them because of what you just said. I just think, yes, timely shots matter, but we sometimes as coaches can place too much value on that. Just like when I hear coaches say, you got to have a little bit of luck. Yeah, you do, I guess. But to me, that's a cop out. And it's like you're ba- you're basing your game on some hope. You got to get fortunate that you don't have key injuries you got to you know get a fortunate foul call but the good championship teams year in year out they just build consistent habits not basing our game on on luck or timely shots I agree with you but let's just say you know it comes down to all right look look it's it's number let's just say it's your conference tournament and it's number one versus number eight Right. And and then it goes down to the final four, then the finals, you know, in one through eight, hopefully. And it's not I mean, it depends on how good eight is. But if you're better than them, you have better habits than them. You're more gritty than them. You're solid on both sides of the ball. Right. Hopefully it doesn't come down to timely shots and luck. Right. And hopefully it doesn't come down to that. But when you get to that championship game and you've got 
two really good teams going at each other. They do a good job on one of the ball. You do a good job on the other end of the ball. Like it oftentimes does come down to it's 60 to 60 with four minutes to go. They played great defense, but somebody stepped up and hit a big shot, you know, and then you go back down to the other end. Now, I think there's more to it than that. I think there's shot generation. Like, are you creating those versus are you just holding the ball for 20 seconds and going to a flat ball screen? You know, one of the examples of that is like I'm watching Duke play. And I don't know what happened from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, right? Because in the beginning of the year, it just seemed like they generated better shots. They were more connected. They were more gritty. They were a lot more things. And I it, look, I'm not, I'm not hammering Coach K because anybody that's coached long enough has been through these scenarios where you don't really know why things have flipped. You don't know why a team has got that spot. But you look at Duke right now, and it's like they're trying to make a timely shot every possession. You know, like it's like it's two to two and they're trying to make this timely big time shot. And I don't think it's needed then. I don't think they should be hunting that then. I don't think they're working to generate good enough shots early on in the game. But when you get down into a big game and you have those two teams that are playing really well, playing really gritty, it will come down to some of those. So maybe not so much in the first round, but, you know, in the second round, the third round, as you go deeper and the teams get better, then it becomes more of a necessity. If you're waiting on a timely shot every round, I mean, Duke just seems to, seems to be hanging by a thread. You know what I mean? Like just kind of surviving, just doing enough. And they're just – everything's relying on a timely shot. And you're just not going to over the long haul win that much if everything's relying on a timely shot. I agree. And don't, and look, March Madness produces some amazing moments that you and I have seen in our lifetime. You, you think about Virginia's run and um, what's the kid that hit the corner shot on the, on the inbounds against Auburn? Kyle Guy, right? You think about the they had like four game winning shots on their way to the national championship. You know, Christian Leitner's shot. I mean, we could go, you know, um, was it Chalmers shot? Can't you talk about Bill Self hitting it against Memphis and Derrick Rose coming off that what we now call Miami, you know, dribble handoff ball screen. So they're they're laced. March Madness is laced with uh, these incredible shots and. And so you do need some of that. There's no doubt. I think going back to what we originally talked about, I think we're in agreement that good teams, championship teams have consistent habits they build in practice that you see in game. So, TJ, going to game coaching, you know, we talked about the topics pregame, postgame. What do you think a good tournament coach does pregame and before you answer this I was working out on over the weekend and was listening to Bruce Pearl talk about this they're like hey how what do you do to get your team ready for March Madness you know you've been to the final four you know I think he won a division two national championship and he said guys I coach the same way in an exhibition preseason game that I do in a sweet 16 game I'm my same passionate animated self I just be me and that's how I show up. Whereas, do you think coaches make a mistake to try to be more than or less than who they are consistently? What you know, talk about your thoughts on the the game coaching or the pregame locker room speech. Yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of aligned with what he says. I mean, I I think it throws your team off when all of a sudden. You know, I've never been huge on like this fire them up speech. Like I maybe I get it a little bit in football, but I think even that wears off three minutes in the game. As soon as, you know, helmets have hit helmets, I think it kind of just goes to playing football. But those those fiery speeches maybe get them out of the gate a little bit. I don't know. 
when it comes to basketball, I think it's a long game. It's 40 minutes. It's going to be who makes the most plays, who's the most consistent over time. And I think if consistency wins championships, the one thing we don't want to be as coaches is inconsistent. We don't want to be fired up for one game and not fired up for the next game. We don't want to give them a fiery speech for this one and then not for this one. So I think that the one category that all champions have is consistency. And I think that starts with the coach. Is the coach consistent? Are they who they are? Now, look, offensively, defensively coaching, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. There's a lot of offenses, a lot of defenses that can make you successful. But at the end of the day, I don't think you can show up and be somebody that you're not. And I also think that carries over to X's and O's. You know, I I think there are, I don't know what the right exact mix is, but 90-10, 80-20, we are who we are, but we make these game adjustments to come into that place. But I think when, you know, you're one coach all year long and all of a sudden in the tournament, you're a totally different coach, I would call that inconsistent. And I don't think teams that are inconsistent thrive. Now, within a game, here's where it gets interesting. All right, you're coaching Emmanuel, TJ. You're in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Y'all get jumped. You're down 22 to 8, and there's eight minutes left in the first half, and you don't feel like your guys are playing with energy. You don't feel like they're flying around on defense and sharing the ball. Uh, Maybe they're even a little bit inert. Like, the first thing is diagnosing. What's the problem? Is it – are we not playing with hard? Are we not playing with great effort? Are we playing nervous or scared? And so a coach is like, got to be really intentional. Do you ramp up your hype? You know, we talk about Spencer Wood talks about hype number. Do you go up to an eight or nine? But then you got a group in front of you that like now you've put them really timid and walking on eggshells. Or did they need you to go to eight, nine, and you need to shake their trees and say, wake the crap up. It's time to go. Like though, like some co- coaches got to think about that stuff. Yeah. And look, if you've coached long enough, you've been in all those scenarios, you feel like your team is ready to go and they come out and they lay an egg. And again, you're right, Sam. I mean, it could be that they were nervous. It could be that they were um, overexcited. It could be there's a lot of reasons that teams and I think that is really, you know, being the doctor and diagnosing. And after you have the diagnosis, what's the prescription? Like, do I need to amp up my energy? Do I need to chill out a little bit? Do I need like that is the art of coaching, which is forever going to be baffling. You know, I think we always are trying to figure that out. Like, what is that? Because there's times when I thought our team maybe didn't have the right level of energy, but then they came out with great focus and played great. And there's times when I thought our team had the right energy and we came out and laid an egg in the first 10 minutes. And that's very frustrating for a coach, right? Because, but the reality of it is whether you're coaching an eight year old, an 18 year old or a 28 year old, like they still continue to do it. And and I think that's going to always be true of young people. Like you don't know exactly what you're going to get. I mean, adults have a hard enough time being consistent and imagine yourself at 18 years old or eight years old or whatever. It's just really hard to be that on a regular basis. But how to get us back to that flow state or that place where we play our best basketball, you know, is really, really important. And that's where you feel like you have a long game of 40 minutes, but you really don't have a long game because games are lost in four and five minute spurts. And you've got to get your team back on track as fast as you possibly can. Now, I think about going when I talk about luck or timely shots. Look, Texas Tech and Virginia, when we were at that Final Four Minnesota a while back, like 
I'm just using that as an example. Both teams were really good. Both teams were really prepared. It did come down to a little bit of luck and a little bit of timely shot, but both put themselves in a position to win. Baylor and Gonzaga, same thing. Good teams, defend, take good shots, right? Both teams put themselves in a good situation to win and to be in a national championship game. It just came down to a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And I think that's where timeliness and luck plays in a little bit. But that luck, luck could have gone Texas Tech way. It could have gone Virginia's way. It could have, but both teams were deserving of winning a basketball game and winning a national championship. Yeah, and it's one, one thought on that, one final thought on that one is like <laughs> when a coach gets into the puddle and they're like, y'all got to calm down. You know, they're yelling like, we got to chill out. And and like, there's some irony <laughs> in that, you know. And so coaches listening, just be being aware. I, I've been I've been there. I've done I made those mistakes. Um, so just reading the room and, and realizing what your team needs. And the only way to do that is to go through the battles with them. You know, TJ, as we talk about like game planning within game coaching and you think about you're going to go into a game and this team runs a, uh, a European ball screen continuity and you decide going in, hey, we're going to trap every ball screen. Right. And that's how you prep for it for three days. Then you get in the game and they're killing you like they're just slicing you up. Maybe the point guard's too quick for your big that you're trying to trap with. At what point as a coach do you punt and make the adjustment in term, you know, because regular season coaching is a little different than tournament. Regular season, maybe you take that L, maybe you, I don't know, maybe you try to send a message to your team. We got to get this right. Tournament, you don't have time. Like we got to make, so when do you punt and go like, all right, we're going to switch or we're going to go under, or when do you stay with the program? Because that's what you practice. That's a hard decision for a coach to make. Yeah. And look, I, I, we've all been there and I've been there a lot of times. And, you know, I think sometimes, Sam, there's two different types of teams. And for a, a coach that's feeling really good about their team, I feel like you can just make adjustments to help your team, right? And then there's the flip side of that where you're making adjustments because you just don't know how to help your team. You don't know when it's going to trigger and when it's going to fire. And you're throwing – you're throwing the kitchen sink at him to try and get him going. You're I'll play two, three, see if we maybe we can just make him miss some shots. Well, let's press him, see if we can get him to cough it up. Let's you know, like you're just trying to throw. And I and I think that there are two different feelings because there's times when we've thrown the kitchen sink at teams to keep them off balance because we just could and we were just good and we just felt like we no matter what we did, we were going to do it with great effort. And there's also times I've thrown the kitchen sink at teams because it's like my team, like I just can't figure out how to get them going. And that's a very frustrating feeling. And so I think figuring out when to punt and when to, you know, when to keep going somewhat based on that, like what kind of team do you have? And, um, and I think also stepping back and being objective, like, listen, we think we had a great game plan. And it's not working. Is it not working because we're not working or is it not working because it's just not the right game plan? And I, I think deciphering between those two things is really, really important. And that that's where like having a good staff that you can lean on and have conversation during the moment, during timeout. Do you have a veteran team, like a senior heavy team that you can go into a huddle TJ and say, fellas, 
hey, what do y'all think? You know, whereas like maybe you have a freshman, sophomore heavy team and they're not equipped or they're not, you know, adept at being able to make those huddle decisions that are are strategic. Right. You, you've been there on both sides of it. Right. Yeah. And, and a veteran staff helps you because, you know, I think young assistants. They want to play checkers a lot like they just made it three against our zone. Let's go, man. They just made it three against our man. Let's go zone. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a little bit more panic when you haven't been through the battles. It doesn't matter. They, they don't see that. They don't see the next move. Yeah. And look, that's not a knock because all of us have been there. You know what I mean? Like I've been there as a head coach, not just assistant coaches. You can go to that place where you're very reactive because of something that happens. And so I think that, you know, all of us as a staff, we have to also recognize who's on our staff, how well do they see the game, how much have they matured, how much do they, you know, because I think it's more common than not to have a knee-jerk reaction because, you know, you don't have a lot of experience on your staff. Now, sometimes you have a lot of experience on your staff and people see the game really well. And, and you got to take that information more seriously. And I think it depends. I mean, I like Graham sees the game really well. He's been an assistant for me for a long time. There's when he says something to me 10 years ago, I heard about 10% of what he said, you know, fast forward 10 years, I hear about 80, 90% of what he says, you know, and it, not that I didn't like Graham or didn't what he's just matured and sees the game better. And he's been through the battles and therefore, the information he gives me during a game is much better than it was 10 years ago. And hopefully that's true of every coach. And, you know, you're factoring in, did Graham watch eight different game films of that opponent? Has he seen everything? Does he come with an educated idea or is he but or is it the flip side where he doesn't know anything and you have you've watched eight game films? So, like, you're factoring that in, too. And I think another thing coaches listening we have assistant and head coaches here's something to think about if you're an assistant coach and your head coach is a very emotionally charged coach who like is very into it you might need to be more of the strategic thinker where you're thinking emotionless and you know void of emotion so you can make more rational decisions so balancing each other out as a staff I think can be really important and having that balance is is good for coaching staffs. Let's move to this. You know, we have a a topic under our game coaching TJ called substitutions and, you know, every team, let me back up a lot of teams, how you substitute matters. You substitute wrongly for a three, four minute stretch. It can cost you a game in Mar and tournament time. And so when you go into a game, are you pretty much, treating substitutions the same in tournament time or what are you thinking about strategically different there? Yeah. You know, I think going back to game coaching and going substitutions, both of these are interesting adjustments that you can make throughout a game. And I think there's a lot of factors that weigh into all of this. You know, for instance, if going back to the in-game strategy coaching for a second, I think one of the things that we can do in tournament time, maybe we had more time to prepare than we normally do and we can overthink some things. And you know what? We should be icing this ball screen. It would kill them. But we haven't iced ball screens in 30 games this year, right? Like 
that can be over coaching sometimes. And even though it's the right strategy, it's not what your team does best. And so I think weighing that decision of this will give them trouble versus how well do we actually do this, I, I think is something that where coaches can make a common mistake. I know I've made plenty of mistakes in that in that arena before. Well, I was going to say, you know, what's an interesting, you know, case study in this. And I don't know how much you've studied. I don't know how much you and I've talked about it. If you look at Mike Budenholzer for the Bucks, and you look at him for the Hawks, he he went on a nice stretch run, TJ, of of really good teams in regular season, and then they kind of flaked out in the postseason. Now you look at the Hawks season; they ran up against LeBron James, Cavs, right? But when he was with the Bucks, a lot of people thought they were choking. And had he not won it all last year, some people said he would have been ousted and fired. But they played a certain way defensively during the regular season. And then they stayed that way, TJ, in the postseason. And he never made the adjustments. This would be a critique of his that that many in basketball world would say. Whereas he made those adjustments on some coverages, on some ball screen defense uh, in series last year. And so, you know, and that that's at the highest level, The best, some of the best minds in the game, some of the best players. But I do think I'm bringing that up because it's important as a coach to know what got you there might, might take you there. What got you there as a coach may continue and take you to the promised land. But what got you there may not, may not get you to where you're getting to either. And, you know, what's the right answer? Yes. I mean, it, it depends on the team and the coach. Yeah. And I think you threw in a third factor there that all of us need to be conscious of. And you you alluded to it, but these are 26-year-old pros, 28-year-old pros that have played a ton of games. And, you know, making adjustments at that level is a little different than making adjustments at a high school level or a college level or, you know, or not even just the level of play. It could just be a young team versus a veteran. And, and sorry, and a series where you play multiple games, same team versus a one game tournament, right? A bunch of one game tournaments. That's a, that's an X's and that's an apples to oranges comparison. I get it. Yeah, and so it, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, I, I think that it, it does matter. I mean, I think making adjustments matters, but I just think what what goes into factoring whether you make that adjustment or not i think there's a lot of things it's who are my players how mature are they how much can they handle how much have we worked on it how long have we had to work on it you know like all of that kind of stuff really factors in and then you know look if we're changing ball screen coverage we haven't run for 30 games how much are they thinking out there versus playing you know it's not a habit it's not something they've developed but if you've over the season you know in the nba you've guarded the ball screen five different ways but most of the time you guard it this way. But in this game, you're changing to guard it this way. It might not be as big adjustment as the other one. And I think I think the same thing with substitutions. I mean, I think it's always tricky to figure that out. Like, do I play this guy? Do I not play that guy? And I think some people script minutes. I think some people, you know, just go by what they feel in particular minutes. And I don't know that there's a right or a wrong way to do it. My general sense is that most teams get a little bit more tight with their rotation come tournament time. You know, if I'm playing my starter 28 minutes and my backup 12 minutes, I see it oftentimes go to 31 and nine or something like that, because look, I'm just going to play the best guys in this scenario. And, and what I, what I hope I think coaches should do figure that out in the regular season. 
you know, like what is our best rotation? And maybe sometimes you have a split. You got two guys at a position and they're going, you know, 16 and 16 or 20 and 20, whatever it might be. Two girls going 20 and 20 and you they're kind of balanced. Maybe based on who's the hot hand, somebody that plays 30 in that and 10 in that. But if you have a scenario where it's a clear cut 32 and eight minutes and that other one's just buying them time, you know, I'm probably more likely to stick with that because we know that that one's clearly better than the other one. And I, I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. But I think that is one thing that should be as as figured out as good as possible during the regular season and not figured out in the flow of a game in the tournament. Yeah, on a, on a small level, I I battled that myself this past year coaching my sixth grade BCB team, TJ. We played a lot of guys and I got into tournament time and played them heavier. And so I don't know if you run into this, but if they're not conditioned, if you've been conditioning your point guard to play 28 minutes and then all of a sudden you ramp up to 35, 36, does that concern you as a coach that they're not conditioned? And so minutes 29 through 36 are operating at like a 75 level as opposed to his 90 level? Yeah, and I think that's really tricky when you're actually like a really good dominant team. Let's say you're you're in high school and you're winning games by 30. You know, like I I I recognized this in Duke about 10 years ago that they would get up 30 on a low opponent and those guys would still be playing. And I think it's what you just spoke about. Like he he knew those guys were going to have to play 30 in the next game versus Louisville and he wanted to keep that conditioning level up. And I do think that that is a factor and that does matter because if you're a high school team and you're up 25 at half every game, you know, you could say, well, let me play these other guys and let me, you know, go with these other guys. But then if they do that for eight straight games where you're up 25 and then all of a sudden you get to that one game where they got to play, you know, 28 minutes or 30 minutes, then that's a tough adjustment for players. Yeah, I agree. And that, that's what you got to think about as a coach. It's the, those are the tough decisions that you got to be long, take the long game, play the long view and do it. DJ, is there anything else in terms of game coaching that you think we have not covered? We talked about pregame, postgame, a little. We didn't talk about postgame, game planning, game management, strategic adjustments and substitutions. Anything else we're missing? You know, I think that what I advise coaches is to do your best to address these issues before they actually become issues. So, for instance, going into the game, what is my substitution philosophy? What is my what what strategic adjustments am I going to make? Like if we start out and they go up 10 to 2, am I going to hold steady or am I going to switch from man to zone to try and get them off balance? If they if they go up this number of points or offensively we come out and we're struggling, we're not getting good shots, am I going to call these two set plays to try and get us good shots or am I going to stick with what we're doing? Am I going to like, and I, I think that the more you can plan for all of those scenarios, it becomes more about like just pushing the button that you know is your adjustment versus calling a timeout and being like, oh gosh, we're down 10 to two. We'd never planned on this. What do we do, coaches? You know, I, I think that's a little too late. So I would, I would plan for those scenarios more often before the game than actually trying to figure it out during a timeout whenever possible. Yeah, that's really good. And again, th this requires, you know, forward thinking. And sometimes we overrate game coaching. We overvalue it, even though I think you and I are both saying it's important. You got, but 
some of the best game coaches are the best practice coaches. Some of the best game coaches are the best, you know, strategic planners thinking ahead, playing chess, or like our friend neighbors would say, playing poker, um, you know, not playing checkers. Yeah. So coaches, that's a lot for you to think about. And I know we could go on and on about this and there's so many little things that go into a game that the average fan never knows, but we as coaches, we experience on a regular basis. And so we'd love to hear your thoughts at hardwood underscore hustle. And we hope that uh, you continue to grow in your in-game coaching as I know each and every year I do. And I learn more and more and try and become a better in-game coach as well as a practice coach and every aspect of coaching. And, you know, if you have any interest, we'd love to have you join us at pgccoaching.com where we try and tackle these topics both in the off season and during the season with coaches so coaches if you're still playing best of luck to you if not hope you enjoy the tournament and watch with a coach's eye and learn how to sharpen your skills and your game and your ability to lead um, as a coach so hey he is sam allen i am tj rosine we are the hardwood hustle thanks for tuning in to this episode of the hardwood hustle where we believe in the value of a coach we want to bring you quality content to help you in your coaching journey don't forget to stay up to date with us on social media by following us at at hardwood underscore hustle. Until next time, thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.